All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. Yeah. Well, look at that. One person's excited it's Easter. Uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're carving out some time to be with us. We're glad that, you know, when you got up this morning, whatever time you got up, you got that ice scraper and scraped it off your window because it was like 30 degrees when I got up this morning or whatever. But the sun is shining. We're here to celebrate and worship, and we're just uh, glad that you're with us. I know some of you. I don't know all of you if I've not met you. My name's Peter, and I have the true privilege of just, uh, man, working with and getting to lead an amazing team of folks here at Calvary Church. And and we're glad that you're here. If you've never been to Calvary Church, there's two things that happen at Calvary Church on Easter Sunday. Two things that happen at Calvary Church on Easter Sunday. The first thing is, Saturday night I go to my closet and I find me a suit. (laughs) This is my wedding, funeral, and Easter suit. And once a year on Easter Sunday, I put this thing on and, you know, I don't know about you, but you got that awkward crease in the back of your legs that's been on the hanger for 364 days and all that stuff. But uh, that's the first thing that happens here at Calvary Church on Easter. And the second thing that happens here at Calvary Church on Easter is we do what Christians around the world have done this morning. We do what Christians around the world have done for centuries upon centuries of centuries, and we do this little call and response, call and response. Ready? I'm going to tell you what it is. Don't get excited. Don't do it till it's your turn. But here is what is about to happen. What is about to happen is, and what happens in churches throughout the world, is the guy in the front will say, he is risen. And then the people there will say, he is risen indeed, right? That's your cue. That's the, but the, so I'm going to say he is risen. You're going to see he is risen indeed, and we're going to do it well. We're going to practice it. We're going to grab onto it because you may have to do it again at the end of the sermon, right? little spoiler alert. But this is what we're here for. This is what we join our voices with other people around the world celebrating today, the fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah. It was adequate. It was like a B plus. Let's go for that A. You don't need to do an A minus, but let's get an A. Ready? He is risen. Yes. Now, I know and I know that not every single person sitting on the blue chairs believes that. And if you don't believe it, we're sure glad that you're here just to celebrate with those of us who do believe it. And if that is not something that you believe, what I hope you'll find from your time here, and you're welcome here every single week. We're here every Sunday until we're not. Uh, But if you don't believe that, we hope that what you see is that for a bunch of us who do, the hope and the confidence and the joy and the peace that comes from that belief. And we hope that you will at least consider and think about what it is that uh, you believe. So I'm going to pray and we're going to do what we do every week here at Calvary Church. We're going to jump into God's word and we're going to see what he has for us as we celebrate Easter together. So let me pray. Father, uh, we are grateful just for the historical fact that we celebrate today. And we're grateful for hope that we can have. And I pray that for those of us who uh, this is our faith, God, that you will affirm it and give us confidence and renew our confidence. And Father, for the people here who are trying to figure out what they believe, will you just uh, uh, speak to them and, and, and see and enable them to just see the hope and the joy and the confidence that they can have because of what Jesus did thousands of years ago. We want Jesus to be honored. We know it's the Holy Spirit that allows anything to happen in our hearts and in our souls, and so we pray for him to work. And we pray this in the name of our resurrected King, Jesus, amen. Well, every day, you and I are confronted with all sorts of things that come at us, and with all sorts of things, what you and I have to decide is, 
Is that thing believable, right? Is that thing trustworthy? I'm being confronted with something, and do I believe what I'm confronted with? Is the statement being made, is the thing that's being presented to me believable, right? Can I trust it? Can I believe it? Can I rely upon it? And in case you haven't noticed it, things are getting expensive in life, right? There's this little, like, inflation deal. You used to be able to buy a loaf of bread for $1.29. Now it's like $117.62, right? <clears throat> Inflation. And you may this week have been asking the question that everybody, I'm sure, is asking this question. You're thinking to yourself, man, I want some chicken. And I don't feel like cooking chicken myself. And the question that you've probably been thinking about all week long, I know none of you are. You're like, dude, you're crazy. But play along with me. It's okay. The question you're thinking to yourself is, I just wish I could find some chicken somewhere for like a reasonable price. Could I just find some chicken that's economical? Could I just find some of that rotisserie chicken under the creepy little plastic container that's been sitting there for two weeks? Can I just find that for under $10? And you get so excited because you go into a grocery store, and there in front of you, as you walk in the grocery store, and they're wafting the smell of rotisserie chicken through your nose, you see a sign that gives you hope and that gives you good news, and it says that you can buy chicken for less than $10. And, and the question is, can I believe it? Well, let's look at the sign a little more. Why pay $10? for barbecue chicken because you can get one for $9.88. <clears throat> oh, geez, thanks, right? And you're questioning, wow, well, can I really get it for less than $10? Maybe, maybe some of you have milk allergies and you're trying to avoid lactose either for your diet or for your health or for whatever, and you get all excited because your friend has told you about this non-dairy creamer that you can put in your coffee. And they bring over to your house this box of non-dairy creamers. And they're like, bro, I'm lactose intolerant. I'm lactose free. Here's a non-dairy creamer. And you're thinking to yourself, man, can this thing really believe? I'm so excited. Can I trust it? Can I rely upon it? And so you pull it out of its container and you see non-dairy creamer. And then you look at the first ingredient <laughs> and it contains milk. You're like, huh. Not so much. The second best movie ever made in the entire universe was Elf. Everybody, anybody here ever seen the movie Elf? No, well, sorry. We're about to show it. No, we're not. The first best movie ever made is Top Gun. Anybody here ever seen Top Gun? Yeah. Casablanca is like a close one and a half. Best movie ever made, Top Gun. Second best movie ever made is Elf. And in this very poignant, important, meaningful scene in the movie Elf. Elf is confronted with this statement. Elf is confronted with this, this proposition of truth. And the question for Elf is, is it believable? Here's what Elf has to decide. Can he really believe it? He sees the sign for the world's best coffee. And he then goes on this quest to confirm or to deny, man, can I really believe that? Is that the world's best coffee, right? Every day. You and I are confronted with these statements, with these propositions, with these ideas about what is true, about what is believable, and the question is, can we believe it? Can we trust it? Can we rely upon it? We wonder whether the person who we told something to in confidence will really keep that confidence. Can they be trusted? We wonder whether if we leave our brand new AirPods on a coffee table with our one-year-old yellow lab puppy, 
Can he be trusted not to eat them in one fell swoop? Guess what? He can't be trusted, right? We, we wonder whether we go to the doctor and the surgeon says, hey, I've done this surgery. I do this surgery 50 times a week. I got it. We wonder, can we believe them? We wonder if we can trust our weather app when it says it's going to be sunny out. Every day, you and I are confronted with all sorts of things, and we have to ask the question, and we have to decide, can I believe it? Is it believable? And we do that not just with whether something's the world's best cup of coffee or whether a non-dairy creamer really is dairy-free. At some point in every single one of our lives, the question we should think about is a question of, okay, there is something that every single one of you, whether you've seen Elf, whether you've seen Top Gun, whether you like rotisserie chicken from the store, every single one of us believes something to be true in this room. We all do. Now, we may not always formulate that, but there comes this point in time where we need to kind of assess, okay, is the thing that I believe to be true actually believable? Is it actually trustworthy? Is it actually dependable? Every single one of us in this place today believes something to be true. Maybe for you, what you believe to be true is that everything's true. And you look around, there's a bunch of faith traditions, there's a bunch of different religions, and you're like, you know what I believe? I believe that every single one of those is true. Well, that is your belief about what is true. Maybe some of you in this room believe Hinduism to be true. Maybe some of you believe Islam to be true. Maybe some of you believe that there's nothing that's true. Well, in and of itself, that is a belief about truth. You just, your truth is just that there is no Truth, maybe you believe that you're the arbiter, you're the decider of what's true, right? What's true is kind of like what makes you feel good in that moment. And you're the gauge and the determiner of what's true. And for a bunch of us in the room this morning, what we believe is that this book is true. We believe that the story of Jesus is true. We believe that <clears throat> the Bible's true. And the question is this, right? Regardless of what you believe to be true, the question is, is it believable? Is it trustworthy? Does it hold up? And this morning, what we're going to think about is this morning of how the historical account of what happened on this day thousands of years ago in history, right? What underlies it, what is the core of it, what we're going to think about together is how that impacts whether Jesus and what he says and what he claimed is believable or true. That's the question that in the days before his death and the days after his death, that is the exact question that his followers were asking. Is he believable? Is he trustworthy? Is this true? <clears throat> These guys, I want to take us back to one moment of time, Jesus and his disciples, this group of people who had been following around for about three years, they were having a Passover dinner together. And they're having Passover dinner, and it's the night before Jesus is going to be, he's going to be arrested in just a few hours. And it's the night before he's going to be executed. The next day, he's going to be executed. And for about three years, these guys have been following him around. And for three years, this constant theme that Jesus has been talking about is a kingdom. And he's been kind of on this tour of the countryside, and he's been saying, I'm a king. I'm a great king. I'm going to bring in a kingdom. It's going to be awesome. He's been given 
all sorts of sermons and all sorts of talks about what the policies of that kingdom will be, what life's in that kingdom about. A few days earlier, before this Passover meal that he's celebrating, man, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. He came into this east gate, to this gate that this dude named Nehemiah had fixed. We talked about that. And when he came into the city, it was like this massive like celebration where all the people in the city are like, woohoo, the king's here. This is awesome. This is spectacular. For three years, these guys have been following Jesus around and have been about the kingdom and the king and I'm a king and there's a kingdom. Now, he'd said a few other things every now and then about like, hey, something, I'm going to die. But they're like, that's static. Kingdom, king, things this night when they're having that Passover dinner, man, things are on the upward trajectory. They think things are good. They think in just like literally a few days, Jesus is going to make this massive, the king's here, woo, everything's good. But in that moment at that dinner... Jesus makes this statement that changes and rocks their world. Here, here's what Jesus says to them as they're finishing up dinner, right? As they'd be having their coffee, as we would after dinner, Jesus makes this comment to them out of John chapter 13, verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so, so I now also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He, here's what he's saying. They're in the middle of this dinner for three years. He's been talking about, I'm a king. I'm bringing a kingdom. I'm a king. I'm bringing a kingdom. I'm going to make life great. You guys have a role in that. I'm going to teach you about that. They've been coming to town. People are like, the king's here. The disciples are like, yes, everything's good. And then what Jesus says to them at the end of this dinner is, hey, oh, by the way, guys, I'm about to take off. I'm about to go away. I'm about to leave you guys, and unlike what's happened the past three years, you can't follow me. You can't come with me. Jesus is talking about how he's going to die, and they won't be able to follow him to death. Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to heaven, but they're just thinking to themselves, what? What is going on? Like this guy is telling us he's about to bail, that he's about to jet, and that impacted them because that was not the news that they were expecting to hear. That wasn't what they were expecting. That's not what they're hoping for. And they <clears throat> had to process through it. I have um, three kids in college. That's why my hair is gray and I drive cars that are 20 years old. And my daughter, uh, <clears throat> we have an old Outback, Subaru Outback down there that she's driving around. And she called me a, a couple months ago. And she called me, and I always get the phone whenever my kids call me, whenever I can. Uh, and, and so she called me, she's like, Dad! And I'm like, yes! And she said, my car, I think it's on fire! And I think to myself, ooh, I better pay attention to this one, right? I better, like, put down my Fortnite that I'm playing and, like, actually take this. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? She's like, Dad, there's all this smoke and all this steam coming out from under my hood. And I think, okay, well, hold on, hold on. Okay, why don't you just, can you pull over? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm stopped. I'm on, I'm on campus and I've got a place to park. And I'm like, okay, good. Then I say, well, maybe you should get out of the car, right? She gets out of the car and she's like, dad. And I said, what? And she said, there's all this fluid under the car. Now, I am no mechanic, but what I do know about cars is the fluid is supposed to stay inside of the car. It's kind of like our circulatory system, right? You want the blood in your body, not out of your body. That don't work well. So I think to myself, huh? And so I say, okay, well, you know, this is what I know. I know because whatever, I know if you open up the hood, sometimes the steam can burn you. I don't want my sweet little daughter's face burned. So I said, okay, babe, tell you what, just 
go get you, let's get a sweet tea. Let's just relax, enjoy the sunshine. Let's, let's wait for it all to cool down. And so we did. And then a few minutes later, I'm like, okay, babe, you see more stone? No, touch the hood. Is it cooler? Okay, it's cooled down. Okay, so open up the hood. Now, put me on FaceTime and let me see what you see. So I'm on FaceTime, like I know what I'm looking at under that engine, but I'm like, like every good dad who doesn't know what they're doing, it's like, oh, hmm. <clears throat> but I do know enough to know that things in your engine are supposed to be connected, right? Things in your engine are supposed to be connected. So she's FaceTiming me, and there's this radiator. I know that there's a radiator in the car, and there's this tube that comes off it, and the tube is not connected to the radiator. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm like, babe, this is simple, right? This is easy. It's just somehow it came undone. We're going to be, it's like nothing. It'll be fixed in like 20 seconds. Call AAA and have them tell you to the shop. So AAA dude comes and he looks in the car. He's like, man, you don't, you don't need to be told to no shop. I can fix it for you here. And I'm like, this is even better. So he does a thing. He puts the clamp on. He's like, you're good to go. I'm like, babe, give him like five bucks. Everything's good. So you good, Darwin? I'm good. You good, good? Hangs up the phone. Two minutes later. Maybe not two. Ten minutes later, she calls back, Dad! And I said, what? And she said, there's smoke coming out from my car, and there's fluid everywhere. So the pose had clamped. So I said, okay, let's tow it to the shop, see what happens. And I'm thinking to myself, it's going to get to the shop. They're going to have the real clamp that fixes it. The dude's going to be like, Mr. Smith, it's like a 47-cent clamp. I'll charge you like 80 bucks labor. And I'm thinking, man, this is a good day. I'm like, thank you that this is what's wrong with my car, Jesus. Thank you that this is such an easy fix, it'll take two minutes. So it's at the shop, the mechanic calls me, he's like, how you doing, Mr. Smith? And I'm like, I'm good, man, like, you got it fixed, do I owe you like 100 bucks? He's like, well, we figured out what was wrong with it. I'm like, okay, great, like, clamps. He's like, yeah, it's gonna cost you $4,600 to fix your car. Yeah, that is a lot of plasma to sell. That is not the news. He's like, yeah, you know, it's your head gasket, right? And the, yeah, I know. I know. It's so sad. He's like, and the problem is this oil's leaking out. It's getting into the thing. It's making everything go boom, and it's causing problems. That was not the news I wanted to hear, right? Unexpected. That troubled me. Now, question is, on that evening, when the disciples are hearing something far more significant right? How, how did it make them feel? Well, we, we see that in the way that Jesus responds to them and tells them what not to think. Jesus says this, right? He's told them that, guys, I'm about to jet. I'm about to leave, and you can't come with me. How did that make them feel? Chapter 14 of this biography, verse 1 says, Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. It, a better nuance of that is this idea of saying, stop being troubled. Jesus was telling them to stop being troubled. You know why he was telling them to stop being troubled? Because they were troubled. They were troubled. They had given up everything. They had left their small businesses. They had left their government jobs. They had left their families. They had left their comfort. They had given everything up for three years to follow this guy around, and now it sounds like he's just giving up on them. They had a certain way that they thought this was going to go. They had a certain three-year plan that they thought Jesus was fulfilling, and man, Jesus in one sentence has totally changed the script. In their minds, everything that they've worked for, everything that they've given up for, everything that they've followed this guy for, 
was absolutely on the verge of collapse, and they had no idea of what the future held or how things would work out. They were troubled. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt troubled? Troubled because of the circumstances that you're facing right now, troubled because of circumstances maybe you have faced, troubled because something shifted in your life and you're sitting here today with all sorts of unknowns about your own future, troubled because you, like the disciples, you had a three-year plan. You had the way it was going to go and the way it was going to work out, but life does what life often does and it's thrown you a curveball. Have you ever been troubled because someone you believed in let you down? Have you ever been troubled because maybe you are a Christ follower, but you feel that Jesus has let you down? Have you ever been troubled maybe because you don't believe in Jesus or you don't even know what the book teaches, but, but you look around and you just think about nature, you think about the way our bodies work, and you have this sense that there's this intelligent designer, that there's something bigger than you, but you have a little bit of trouble because you're like, but I don't understand that. I don't know how to get right in this relationship with God. Have you ever been troubled? All of us at different moments in our life are going to have circumstances in our life that cause us trouble. But there's another thing in our life that is a source of trouble, and it's not just the circumstances of life, but is a core truth that causes trouble. See, the, the, the ultimate trouble with my Subaru, it wasn't a little clamp that broke. The ultimate trouble wasn't that there wasn't fluid in it. The ultimate trouble with my car was something in the very, very heart of the engine. Because in the very, very heart of that car, there was something that was broken, something that wasn't working right, something that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And for you and me, the trouble that we face in our lives are not just the circumstances of our lives, but there is a core trouble in our life. And the core trouble, according to the book, is that we all face separation in our relationship from God that we all face separation in our relationship with God, that there is a higher being, there is a God who adores us, but we are separated from him and we are separated from him because of sin, sins that we're born into, sins that we commit. And there's no wrench, there's no tool, there's no gasket good enough or strong enough that we can ever use to try to fix it on our own. And that trouble causes us to be separated from God, and that trouble raises the potential of potential punishment from God. We all face trouble in our lives because of the circumstances of our lives, and we all face trouble because of something that's the core of our lives, that is separation from God. And the question is, does Jesus on this night... <clears throat> to his people who are troubled. Speak anything for you and speak anything for me to give us comfort when life circumstances cause trouble and to give us hope about how to resolve the trouble of the separation from God. Here's what Jesus says to them. We've already read it, right? But they're troubled. They're freaking out. They feel like they gave up everything for him and he's giving up on them. And so he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Stop being troubled. Okay, that's important because Jesus said it, but in and of itself, it may not be that ultimately helpful. If you come into my office and if you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with worry, 
And you're like, okay, Peter, you're a pastor. <clears throat> Let me come talk to you. We'll make an appointment. And you come to my office and you have some fresh brewed tea that I make for you. Because that's my new nerdy thing after like one o'clock. I have British tea now, right? If I pour you out of the nice little kettle thing that we have a cup of tea and you sit down and you're like, Peter, I'm so anxious. I'm so worried. I don't know what to do. I can't sleep. I'm getting up early. I'm so worried. What should I do? And if I said to you, don't worry, you're like, bro, that ain't very helpful. Right? Like, I know I'm not supposed to worry, but how can I stop from worrying? Like, give me some guardrails. Give me something to hold on to. Because you just telling me not to worry, that don't really fix the problem, right? Jesus just telling these guys, oh, you're freaking out, you're troubled, stop, don't be that. That, that doesn't in and of itself help. And so Jesus is going to give them two perspectives, two points of view, two things to hold on to, to try to help them when they're troubled, facing circumstances of life and even after life. The first thing he says to them is this, and I hope that maybe for some of us who feel troubled this morning, this can bring some comfort. He says this, the very next line after let not your hearts be troubled, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Here's what Jesus is saying, look, instead of being troubled, trust me, trust me, believe me. And then Jesus is going to press on. He's going to say to them, look, and don't just trust me when you face trouble because of the circumstances of life, but you can also trust me for what is the core of the trouble and hope after this life. That's the very next thing he says in verse 6. Jesus makes this other comment. He said to them, look, when you're troubled, trust me, but you can also trust me for hope after this life. Here's what Jesus says, verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus didn't want to just give some way to avoid trouble through the circumstances. Jesus wanted to give a way that we could have hope because of the trouble of separation after our life. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, some of us, we may not like that Jesus said that. <clears throat> we may think that's unfair. We may think that's exclusive. We may think that's unkind. We may think that leaves people out. Those are reasonable thoughts to press into and to consider. But even if we don't like that Jesus said that, even people who are critical of the story of Christianity, nobody disputes that that is what Jesus said. And so the question that becomes, like, even if we don't like that he said that, first thing is, well, is he believable when he said it? Should we believe him when he says it? And the second question that kind of presses into that is, okay, what did he even mean when he said that? Like when he's talking about like, okay, I am the way to the Father, no one comes, like what does that mean? And here's what Jesus is pinging off of that idea that there's separation between us and God and there's nothing that we can ever do to fix it. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm going to do it for you. God demands perfection. None of us are perfect. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to live the perfect life that you should have lived, and I am going to take the punishment that you should have received, and it's going to be this substitution. I'll live perfect for you. I'll be punished because of you. I will take your sin, and I'm going to give to you righteousness. I'm going to give to you forgiveness and I'm going to give to you hope of being restored by God, and you receive that, and you benefit that through faith. 
not trying harder, not doing better, not doing more to be better. Faith. Here's what Jesus is telling his troubled friends. Don't be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me to keep my promises. Trust me in the troubling times of life. And trust me for hope after this life because I am the way that you can be restored with God. And then Jesus gives a second truth, a second perspective to hold on to. And he says this in another verse, in verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look, this separation that we're going to experience, it's not going to be forever. He's assuring them and telling them that one day, someday, you will see me again. Here's what Jesus is saying. Know that you're going to see me one day, guys. The separation isn't going to be forever. We're not going to be apart forever. What Jesus is telling his troubled friends is, no, you'll see me one day. And he tells them that because many times in life, future hope can be the source of present peace. Future hope can be the source of present peace. Jesus says to these guys who are facing trouble in life, trust me and know that you're going to see me again. But the question is, when Jesus says that, is he just claiming to be a non-dairy creamer that actually the only ingredient in it is milk? Can he really be trusted? Can what he says give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? That is exactly what the disciples were processing. That is exactly what the disciples were processing because they had this dinner. He wrecked their world by saying, I'm leaving. Then he gave them some hope, and they're like, okay, well, maybe it's not as bad. Maybe things are going to be okay. And then a few hours after he said that, man, there are guards taking Jesus away. And then a few hours after guards take Jesus away, right, the next afternoon, Jesus is killed dead, executed, and they're thinking, man, this could be game over, right? His disciples were devastated. They were anguished. They were shook to the core. They're thinking to themselves, I guess he wasn't believable after all. I guess he wasn't trustworthy after all. Maybe he was, was he a con man? Was he just lying to us the whole time? They were thinking, well, I don't know, maybe he was crazy, Right? Was Jesus crazy, they're thinking? Did he just make all this stuff up? Was he wrong? What they're processing is we gave three years of our lives to trust him. And then when we're freaked out, he tells us to trust him. We trusted him, but I'm not so sure that in this moment <clears throat> he's believable. And Friday and Saturday, those were tough days for them. Friday, when they left the cross and they left this guy that they'd gone all in for hanging there, and that was tough as they were processing, is he believable? But in the words of a black preacher at Mount Carmel Baptist Church in West Philadelphia that were made very popular a few decades ago, that was Friday, but Sunday's coming. That was Friday, 
And on Friday, they didn't know what to believe. On Friday, they didn't know what to do. On Friday, they thought maybe that guy had sold him a bill of goods and they never should have believed him to begin with, but that was only Friday. And Sunday's coming. They don't know what happens on Sunday. Some of us have read ahead in the story. If you haven't, the question is what happens then on Sunday morning? I'm going to have the worship team come up here as I just end this and we start to move towards the end of our sermon. Some of his friends go to his tomb on Sunday morning. And this is what's really important. When they went to the tomb on Sunday morning, they didn't go there to celebrate a resurrected king. They went to honor a dead friend. They went to honor a dead friend. They had no concept of celebrating a risen king. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to him, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloths which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Mary is still trying to process what is going on. How do I understand this? And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, can you just tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, And Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She busted into this room where there were a bunch of disciples who didn't know what they believed, who were confused, who were disappointed, who felt like maybe they shouldn't have trusted Jesus. And she's like, Boys, fellas, I've seen Jesus. For some of you, you might be in a Friday moment. For some of you, this might be a hard, hard season. And you might be facing circumstances that make no sense. You may be facing disappointment you never expected. You may have no clue with what the future holds. But for you and for me, whatever you face on this Friday and in your Friday, and whenever your heart is troubled, the fact that Jesus defeated death means you can believe what he said in his life. The fact that Jesus defeated death means that you can believe what he said in his life. You can trust him to keep his promises. Now, Jesus does not promise you a brand new Toyota 4Runner. 
I wish he did. If I could find that Bible verse, I'd be the happiest man in the world. It ain't in there. Jesus does not promise you that you're going to have a ton of money. In fact, what Jesus promises you is, hey, by the way, if you follow me, your life's going to be really hard sometimes. But I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I promise you, Jesus says that in this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Because Jesus defeated death, you can believe what he said during his life. You can believe Jesus to keep his promise. You can trust him in the troubling moments of your life, and you can trust him for hope after this life and the fact that you will never, ever be punished by God for what you've done wrong, but only forgiven and received with more abundant, lavish love than you have ever experienced in your life, not because you've done better, but because you've trusted what Jesus has told you and because it is finished. And Jesus died once for all. And for those of you who believe in Jesus, and that's part of your story, the hope for you, you can trust him that one day, someday, you will see him again. And on that day, you'll not hear these words read to you by Mary who came to the tomb, but you will echo her words, and one day, someday, you will stand before Jesus, the risen king, and you will say, man, I have seen the Lord. You can trust him because Jesus defeated death. You can trust what he said during his life. And you can believe those things because of what we first proclaimed this morning together. You can believe those things today because he is risen. No, no, no. Adequate. Stand up. And this morning, what I want to give you as assurance is you can believe those things because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's worship together. <laughs>